Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. So good morning. It is great to be here. Actually, the last time I was here was Love London Sunday. You would have seen from the video, I got to be part of baptizing a dozen people. It was an incredible day. I'd say if you are around that weekend, please do make it a priority. It is one of the best services, I think, of the year. Um, so yeah, it is great to be here. The Stockwell service is high, sends their love. Um, Jax would love to be here today as well, but she is hosting our service. And then I'm hoping making me roast lamb for lunch. That is what I'm looking for. I gave up meat for Lent, so today is a good day. Um, but obviously more than that, I'm excited because this is Easter Sunday. Isn't that incredible that right at this moment, millions, if not billions of people today will be celebrating what we are celebrating, celebrating that the tomb is empty and that Jesus is risen. Isn't that an incredible thing? So incredible. I feel like I need some help to preach today. So let us pray. Jesus, we just thank you for being alive. We thank you that you have risen. We thank you that the tomb is empty. We thank you that death itself has been defeated and that we get to live with you in the power of your resurrection day by day. And Jesus, I pray that today you would come and meet with us. I pray today you would come and restore hope, build hope, build faith. And I pray that for anyone who is here this morning considering your claims, considering following you, I pray that you would meet with them in a special way, in a very real, authentic, and genuine way. Amen. Okay, so I came from a family that loved cake. Um, so I've taken that on myself, but particularly birthdays. So my mum was one of those mums who would make elaborate birthday cakes. Don't know if your mum did this. Um, it wasn't just about kind of the taste of the cake, but what the cake looked like. And so I grew up with um, cakes that looked like trains and boats. I think my favorite was the computer cake. So you got a whole slab of chocolate for the keyboard. That was incredible. And so when my wife and I had our two children, we got a five-year-old and a three-year-old, I thought, that's just what you do. You bake elaborate cakes for your children. Right? So I've spent the last five years honing my cake baking skills, which really just means finding something on Pinterest and then trying to copy it. And I have spent hours and hours, normally the night before the party, which isn't great because you end up working into the night and the next day you're tired, got a whole bunch of kids around, not a great plan. But that's the way I've spent most of the days before our kids' birthdays is up late making cakes. Um, and this last time around, Ariana, our youngest, wanted a mermaid cake. So again, went on Pinterest. And when I was online looking for something that I could copy, and it's very important, you need a cake that looks great and that matches your ability. These are very important things. You have to kind of match these things up. And I come to realize that there's a bigger gap than I would like in those two things. But I was on the internet looking for cakes, and I came across this amazing site where people uploaded the picture of the cake that they wanted to make and the picture of the cake they actually ended up making. And so we got this first one here, show the first one. Very appropriate for Easter, a lovely lamb. Person looked at it and thought, hey, I can do that. And this is what happened. It's like a pink ferret, isn't that amazing? And then we've got this next one. This is obviously Olaf from the film Frozen. I mean, if you're trying to make that, you've got some skills, right? Or at least you think you've got some skills. And this is how that one turned out. Which I guess, if you've never seen Frozen, you might be happy you got a snowman for a cake. Um, but then, this is my favorite. Uh, so this is a chocolate hedgehog, this next one. And I'd look at that, the girl said, hey, Daddy, I want a hedgehog for my cake. Hopefully they would say that, because that looks pretty easy, right? 
kind of normal chocolate cake, face a bit of the, do the face, just stick loads of flakes in it. Amazing. And this is what turned, like this is how it turned out. <laughs> I mean, that is just a, hot check, a hedgehog from hell, isn't it? Like, happy birthday, Johnny. For our gift to you, we've given you a week of nightmares. Incredible. But then as I've been thinking about this, I think, doesn't so much of life turn out like that? Expectation and reality. And reality oftentimes does not match our expectations. We can have all of these pictures in our mind of how we want our life to turn out. Pictures of a perfect relationship, a perfect family. Pictures of a perfect career. Pictures of a perfect community, a church community. Pictures of a perfect relationship with God. Pictures of a perfect us. And we have all these pictures in our mind, and then reality happens. And oftentimes, our expectations and our experiences, they don't quite match up, do they? There's this gap in between. And I think as that happens, as this gap exists and doesn't get smaller, as this gap sometimes even gets bigger, that is when we can start to lose hope. We can start to feel a bit hopeless. We can start to wonder, is my life ever going to turn out the way I thought it was? Is there even any possibility of change? Is there hope for change? And if you are here this morning and that resonates with you, kind of expectation experiences, there's a big gap and you're feeling slightly hopeless about that, then you have come to church on a good day because today we get to talk about Easter and Easter is all about hope. So we're going to look at Luke's account of the Easter story in Luke 24. But before we read that, let's just remind ourselves of the context here. So for the last few years, Jesus has been kind of crisscrossing the whole of Israel, um, inviting everyone into relationship with him and with his heavenly father and proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near. And he travels from village to village, teaching, preaching, but also doing signs and wonders, miracles, healing people. Sometimes everyone in the village go away healed by Jesus. And uh, he feeds thousands from a lunchbox. And he even raises the dead. And so the whole country is electrified. The whole country is thinking, who is this man? Is this man the one that we have been waiting for? Everyone had started hearing the stories. Everyone seemed to know someone who had been healed by Jesus. Everyone knew someone who was there the day that Jesus fed 5,000. Everyone had heard the stories of how he stood up to the religious authorities. And they're starting to think, yes, maybe this is the guy. Maybe this is the promised Messiah, the promised king. The king promised in the scriptures who was going to come and change everything. The one who was going to break the tyranny of Rome over them and set them free and sit upon David's throne and usher in this golden kingdom, this golden age of peace and prosperity. And alongside this kind of societal, this political, this kind of huge uh, hope for change that was growing in the crowd, there was also a much more personal hope growing in Jesus' disciples. See, for Jesus' disciples, this wasn't just about the hope of the kingdom coming. It was about the hope of being with the king in that kingdom. It was the hope of spending the rest of their lives with Jesus. Jesus' disciples had been completely changed by his love for them. Many of them left everything behind to follow him and be with him. Here was someone who didn't belittle them, didn't talk down to them. Even though he was power, he didn't use his power over them, but with them and for them. Here was someone who uh, didn't uh, let their past define them. Jesus didn't think what had happened to you or what you had done was the most important thing about you. 
He was someone who actually looked at them and said, no, this is who you could be, and I'm going to help you get there. He saw that there was good in them, that they could be involved in this kingdom, that they could actually help bring in the kingdom. This was someone who truly loved them, and so they loved him right back. I love in John's gospel. So John writes his gospel account of the life of Jesus, and all the way through, he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. He doesn't call himself John, just calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. And he's not trying to say, hey, you guys, Jesus didn't love you, he loved me. He was just saying that Jesus' love for him was so foundational, so transformational, that it was the very thing that defined him. So for three years, because of Jesus, there was hope for change in the air. It was electric. There was hope that things were going to be different. And that hope had grown and grown, and it reached a fever pitch. So the week before Easter, uh, we thought about this last week, Palm Sunday, Jesus enters in to Jerusalem, almost as a returning king. And the whole city comes out, and they are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, salvation is here. God is with us. Things are going to change. For disciples, it felt like everything was coming true. Expectation, experience, matching up together. <coughs> but then, complete disaster. In one terrible weekend, that hope was shattered. On Thursday night, you got Judas, one of their own, one of their own friends, effectively leading a lynch mob to come and find Jesus in the garden and to take him away betrays him with a kiss of all things. And so Jesus is arrested and he's sentenced to death before anyone could stop it. And by Friday at noon, just a few short days from when Jesus had been welcomed in by the crowds of the Messiah, he is being nailed to a cross as a common criminal, left to die the, one of the most painful, humiliating, shameful, God-forsaken deaths ever devised. In the space of just 24 hours, every hope that his disciples had had for the future was gone. Every hope of a life lived with Jesus in his kingdom was dead and buried along with Jesus' body in a borrowed tomb at the edge of the city. And it would have stayed there, wouldn't it, if that was the end of the story. But that is not the end of the story. Let's pick up that story in Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 1. But on the first day, Sunday, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. The they here is a group of women, some of Jesus' closest friends. And as soon as kind of sunlight came on Sunday morning, they headed out with ointments and spices to embalm Jesus' body. And when they got there to the tomb, they found that the stone was rolled away. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men, two angels, stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered Jesus' words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So I've been thinking a lot these last few weeks about the question that the angels asked these women. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? 
And as I've been thinking about it, I've come to realize what a helpful metaphor this is for what can happen to us when we try to cope on our own with the loss of hope in our lives. Instead of looking, being on the lookout for the risen Jesus, instead of looking to him to bring the power of his resurrection into our lives, we turn instead to dead things, to things that have absolutely no power to bring us the life that we long for. They might help us cope, but they have no power to transform. In the spirit of being honest with one another, do you want to know what one of my dead things is? Sugar. I mean, it just sounds ridiculous to say that out loud, doesn't it? Glorious resurrected Jesus, king of the universe, and glucose. I mean, there's just no comparison. But that is what happens. When I feel low, when life is hard, when things aren't going the way I want them to, when the disconnect between what I'd hoped would be and what is is too big, when I'm not living the life that I thought I'd live, when I'm not the person that I thought I would be, my reaction is to eat something sweet. <coughs> I mean, this literally happened to me yesterday, just yesterday. Something happened, something knocked me off course, nothing major, but enough to get me thinking again, is anything ever going to change? Am I ever going to change? Is my life ever going to change? There's this gap between the life I want to live and the life I'm living, and kind of this hopelessness kind of surged up in me. And I'm not proud of this. You know, as a pastor, you think maybe you should get this right. But instead of going to Jesus, instead of praying, instead of allowing him to speak words of life and affection and love over me, instead of looking for renewed hope and faith in him, I went to our kitchen and I opened the cupboard. And I'm standing there looking in because it's still Lent and I gave up sugar for Lent as well as meat. And I'm having this internal battle. Like, it's just one day, isn't it? Just one day. It'll be fine. Jesus will forgive me. He's cool with this. It's just fine. And as I'm standing there, it's as if two angels appeared behind me and said, Tim, why do you seek the living among the dead? Obviously, that didn't happen. In my mind, that's what I was thinking. These words of the angels came back to me. Why am I seeking the living among the dead? Why am I once again looking for life in dead things? Of sugar for all things. What is sugar going to do for me? Can it give me a momentary buzz and then send me down? It may help me cope in the moment. It may feel good in the moment, but that's not the life I want. Why am I looking for living things in dead things when Jesus is alive? Because he is. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and give it to the full. In all of its fullness. That is his offer to us. And many of us have said, yes, I want that. Well, I think there's a tendency to think, I've said that once. Come on, Jesus. What are you doing? Like, I said I wanted this. Where are you? I'm waiting. Things aren't getting any different. What's going on? But actually, what we need to do is moment by moment come to him, isn't it? Like, in the moment when we're thinking about seeking dead things for life, turn to Jesus. Go to him in that. Now, I don't know what your dead things are. I don't know what the things that you go to when life gets a little hard, when you're feeling a little hopeless. Maybe it's like me. Maybe it's sugar. Maybe it's Netflix. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your career. You think, if I can just do this, that will define me and make everything okay. I don't know what your thing is. But do you think maybe today, as a community, we can agree that we can ask ourselves that question? 
that when we find ourselves going back to those things to help us cope, we just stop and we say, why am I seeking the living among the dead? And we remind ourselves, I don't need to do this. I don't need to be here. Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen. Jesus can actually give me the life that I am looking for. Wouldn't that be a great thing to do on Easter Sunday? To commit to that in our own lives. And for those of us who are in relationship with one another, maybe we can agree that it's okay to ask one another that question too. Now I understand we need to do that very delicately, very gently, full of love. But can we agree that maybe that is okay for us to do? Can we give one another the permission to ask us that question? If you see me going back to dead things for life, and I see you going to dead things for life, maybe we just say, hey, why are you seeking the living among the dead? Jesus is alive. Do you think that would be okay? Do you think we could do that as a community? To look where we're heading for life and just keep on pointing us back to Jesus over and over. Now they say doing this is Doing anything for the first time is the hardest, isn't it? So we're going to do it right now. We're going to get that hard thing over the way. Sorry, introverts. This is going to be a little painful for you. But I want you to turn to the person next to you, person near to you, and with as much compassion and love in your eyes as possible, look at them and say, Cameron, why are you seeking the living among the dead? Jesus is alive. Can you do that? Turn to the person next to you. Let's get this out of the way the first time. Do you see how easy that is? That's an easy thing to do, right? Let's just keep on doing that for one another. Okay, calm it down, guys. Bring it back in, bring it back in. So one of the other things I've been thinking about, reflecting on, uh, as I've been reading the Easter story, is how important it is that our expectations for life are actually grounded in the Word of God. Now, I don't want in any way to diminish the pain, the anguish, the emotional trauma that the disciples went through when they saw the person they loved most in the world be brutally and unjustly executed. But I think that maybe the hopelessness that they experienced that weekend, the feelings of being abandoned by God, of every, the feelings that everything has gone wrong, were because they had forgotten just where they were, at what point they were in the story of redemption. When the angels speak to the women, they tell them, remember the word of God. Remember the words of Jesus. Remember how he told you that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise. Now, I don't know about you, but doesn't it seem a little crazy that the, the disciples apparently didn't see either Jesus' death or his resurrection coming? They were blindsided by both of them. As you read through the Gospels, it's really hard to see how Jesus could have made it any clearer to them. Any clearer that the incredible story of redemption that he and the Father were writing hinged upon these two events, his death and resurrection. He says it over and over again. I'm going to die, but three days later, I'm going to come back. And I can get that they may not have been expecting the death, that that may have come out of the blue. But don't you think that at least one of them, one of that whole group, as they see Jesus die on the Friday, would have sat down and thought, hey, I think Jesus said something about this. Oh yeah, that's right. He said three days, Friday, first day, Saturday, second day, Sunday, third day. It's okay, guys. 
Let's just hunker down. We can't do anything on the Sabbath anyway, so let's just wait tight. Sunday, Jesus is coming back. It's all going to be okay. You would have thought that one person would have remembered Jesus, the teacher, like the master. They would have remembered what he had taught them, but no. So even on Sunday, even on the third day, the women come to the tomb, and what are they expecting? A dead body. That's why they're bringing ointments and spices. But then as soon as the angels remind them of Jesus' words, they remember where they are in the story. They haven't seen Jesus yet. They just remember where they are in the story, and everything changes. Hope comes flooding back in. I think that can be the same for us. We can forget which part of the redemption story we are living in. And for us, obviously, that is a different part of the story. We are not living between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. We are living between Easter, when Jesus on the cross, through the cross, won the decisive victory against sin and death and evil. And we are living between then and his second coming. And it's at that point when he will extinguish death and evil, sin forever. That point. But we are living at this point. Which means that we are living in the part of the story where his kingdom has come, but it has not yet come in full. Or to put it another way, we are living in the dawn. Where the light of God's kingdom has broken through, but we're not yet at midday. I mean, we will get there. That is inevitable, isn't it? The sun has risen, the dawn has risen, the light will come and increase and increase. We will get there. And one day Jesus will return to make everything new, to wipe away every tear. So that one day there will be no more sin, suffering, evil, death, pain, none of that. We will get there, but right now we are living in the dawn. And just like the disciples, I think we can get into a whole load of trouble if we forget that. If we think our experience should be midday and we forget that actually we're in the dawn, where light and darkness exist together. And if we forget that, then we will always be surprised by the darkness that occurs in our life. And all of us are touched by darkness at one point or another. That's what happens in the dawn, light and dawn together. And if we forget that, then we will always be plagued by the doubt that Jesus doesn't love us or that he's abandoned us or this isn't even real. And obviously, that couldn't be further from the truth. What does the cross and resurrection say to us? It says that Jesus loves us. Jesus loves you. Jesus left the glory of heaven for you. He took on human flesh for you. He suffered. He was beaten and whipped and stripped naked and then um, nailed to a cross for you. All so that he would endure the ultimate darkness so that we wouldn't have to. All in order to save us. And he did that because he loves us. And now the incredible thing is that he invites us into life with him. And this life isn't a passive waiting in the dawn. I mean, some people could wait in the dawn and focus on the darkness. That's very easy to do, isn't it? I think I'm quite like that. If I see darkness, that's my focus. I have to shift myself to know the light. It is dark, yes. We can't deny that. There is darkness around us, but the light is coming. The day is coming. That's where our focus can and should be. And not just that it's coming, not that do we just get to passively wait for it, but Jesus calls us on this adventure to bring in the light. 
that we get to be people that bring in the kingdom of God, that see the darkness push back. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that an incredible adventure that we are called upon? I just finished reading this great book uh, called Just Mercy by a guy called Brian Stevenson, who is a lawyer and an activist in America, someone who Desmond Tutu calls America's young Nelson Mandela, which is quite a mantle to carry. And for the last 30-odd years, so I guess Brian is not that young, um, he has been representing death row prisoners and advocating for reform in the American justice system. If you have seen the Netflix film 13th, which I recommend, um, you'd have heard him talk about how, in his, his opinion, America has a criminal justice system that treats you better if you are rich and guilty than if you are poor and innocent. And he has spent his whole career, most of his life, working to do something about that, to bring light into that darkness. And in the book, he tells about the time that he first met the amazing Rosa Parks. And this is an encounter that he comes back to, returns to again and again in his life. Because life is hard. Working in this world is hard. And this conversation just gave him some strength. And he was invited to dinner to meet Rosa Parks by their mutual friend, a Mrs. Joni Carr. And she was another legend of the civil rights uh, movement. She was one of the main architects behind the Montgomery bus boycott. And during the evening, which he's gone along and listened, he said that Mrs. Carr invited him and just said, hey, you can come, but you're just going to listen for a while. Is that okay? No talking, just listening. And then at one point, Rosa asks him what he does. He kind of looks over to Mrs. Carr. Is it okay if I talk now? She says, yeah, yeah, you can talk now. And he's got his one opportunity. What are you going to say to the great Rosa Parks? And he says, well, ma'am, he says, I have a law project called the Equal Justice Initiative, and we're trying to stop the death penalty, actually. We're trying to do something about prison conditions and excessive punishment. We want to free people who have been wrongly convicted. We want to end unfair sentences in criminal cases and stop racial bias in criminal justice. We're trying to help the poor and do something about the fact that people can't get the legal help they need. We're trying to stop them putting children in adult jails and prisons. We're trying to do something about poverty and the hopelessness that dominates poor communities. We're trying to educate people about the racial history and the need for racial justice. And we're trying to confront abuse of power by police and prosecutors. That is quite a thing to be doing, eh? And he finishes this monologue about all the stuff that he's involved with. And he looks up and the two women are there smiling at him. He thinks, oh, maybe I've kind of overstepped the mark a bit. And then Rosa Parks leans back in her chair and she says, ooh, honey. All that is going to make you tired, tired, tired. He writes in the book, he feels embarrassed. Maybe he is taking on too much. But then Mrs. Carr leans forward. And she looks at him and she points her finger on his face. And she says, and that is why you've got to be brave, brave, brave. These two incredible women who knew a thing or two about living in the dawn, about fighting against darkness, bringing in the light. They didn't tell Brian that change was going to be easy. But neither did they say that change was impossible. They told him that change was going to cost him something. And so because of that, he needed to be brave. And doesn't Easter tell us the same thing? Easter tells us that real hope, real change is possible. That because of Jesus, the dawn has broken. Light is on its way. Darkness is on its way out. But it also tells us, it makes it very clear that real change doesn't come in the way that we would often like it to. 
And I don't know about you, but I am all up for God changing stuff by kind of changed. It's like, yes, God, all of this stuff that's going on, change it, change it, change it. But that's not what happens, is it? We are invited to get in the process. We see on the cross, we often think that pure power can change things. But think about the cross. Think about how things actually did get changed. God didn't use violence. He didn't use force. He sent his son to bear the weight of sin and darkness on the cross to die. We often think, well, change can come about by killing. There are bad people. Let's just kill them and everything will be fine. That is not what the cross shows. The cross shows Jesus being willing to die, to take on suffering. And that is what we are called into. That is, we are called to be people of the cross. People who not just sing and celebrate about the cross, but then live in the way of the cross. Where we take on some of the suffering of the world upon ourselves. Because that's what happens. If you get close to someone... If your heart goes out to them, if you start this relationship with them, if you start to love them and hard stuff happens to them, then you feel that, don't you? I mean, you feel that there's a weight. And that's what happened to Brian. He spent years and years walking prisoners through death row. They saved some of them, others they didn't. And actually, the bit in the book which kind of elicits this story, he's just been on the phone trying to rescue one more person to stay the execution, and it doesn't happen. There's a guy that he's grown to love and he is killed, and he just sits down and thinks, I just can't do this anymore. Like, if this is the way change happens, just count me out. I can walk away. But then he realizes, no, I can't. There are things that need to change, and I can change them. And that is the message of Easter. Things will change, but not in the way that we thought they would. But we get to be involved in that. And the incredible thing is that Jesus isn't calling us as individuals. He's calling us as a community. We're not supposed to do this by ourselves. We're supposed to do this together. Encouraging one another, helping one another, strengthening one another. But more than that, we are to do this in the power of the Spirit. I mean, don't you think it is crazy that Jesus said to the disciples, it is better that I go away and then I can send the Spirit. It is better that I go away, Jesus. Are you sure These last three years have been pretty great. I'd like to continue that if that's okay. I'd like to kind of keep on having breakfast with you and like all that kind of stuff and the conversations we have. How could it possibly be better that Jesus goes away? He says the Holy Spirit can come. So his presence isn't just limited now to the dozen people around him or the 120 or the crowds. It is open for everyone. All of us can actually experience the presence of Jesus walking with us day by day, minute by minute. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is now available to each one of us. That is what we are called to. That is what Easter says. Yes, there is a great, great hope. The dawn has come, the light is on its way, and yes, we get to take part in that. Isn't that incredible? There we go. Sorry, I forgot where I was. (laughs) I'm often like that. Yeah, yeah, if I agree with that, I'll write that down. Isn't that incredible? This is the story we are invited into today, and we are going to sing and celebrate that some more, so why don't we have the band come back up? And just to say, if you are here this morning and you think that the resurrection is an April Fool's joke that has gone on way too long, like, I get you. Like, that's what the disciples thought, right? None of the disciples, when they were told about the resurrection, thought this was in any way possible. 
They thought it was ridiculous. And so if you are here this morning and you think, I'm just not sure about this, a dead man coming to life, changing the world, we, are, we just want to say you are so, so welcome. You are so welcome here to investigate, to explore, to chat with us, because we do think that is true and it will change your life. And maybe you are here today and you are investigating and you have investigated and you think, yes, I want this. I want the life that Jesus has to offer. And maybe you've never quite taken that step. We would love to take that step with you this morning. I'll be down at the front. If you want to come and find me afterwards, I'd love to chat with you. Or Dave's going to be here as well. Maybe today on Easter Sunday, that could be the day when you say, Jesus, I'm not quite sure about all of this stuff. not quite sure what this really means, but I want the life that you have to offer. I don't want my life to look like this anymore. I want my life to look different. And today, that can happen for you. Why don't we stand? Let me just pray, and then we can sing. Jesus, risen Jesus, you who are seated at the right hand of the Father, you who made a way for all of us, you who have changed the world forever through your death and resurrection, you who have brought in the dawn and are bringing light into our lives and pushing back the darkness, we just say we love you. We are so grateful, so thankful for you. And we say we want to live our lives for you and with you. And we are willing, if that means carrying a cross, if that means taking on some of the world's suffering, that we can see that light come, then we say, Jesus, we're scared of that if we're honest. We don't really want that if we're honest, but we do. And we just pray for your spirit's power right now upon us. And I pray for each one of us, wherever we are, wherever we are and we see darkness around, I pray that you will bring in light through us. And I pray for those who are here this morning feeling like there's no hope for change in them, that they've been living with this stuff for too long. I pray that you would give them hope this morning that things can change, that as they turn to you, as they look to you, Lord, that you will change everything for them. Jesus, we are so grateful. We are so thankful. We want to worship you with all that we have right now. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.